whether we like it or not, um, very likely we will go to a future where uh, people will live much longer, perhaps two, 300 years and, and still look young and, and have much less diseases uh, because for the first time in thousands of, of, of years, uh, we can uh, we actually have now the tools to uh, tinker with our genome, epigenome, transcriptome, microbiome, and so on. So it's like a whole new era that, that is now uh, dawning. My name is Stephen Parton, and you're listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio, where we keep you up to date on the latest technological trends and how they're impacting the transformation of consciousness and culture. This week, my guest is Singularity's very own expert in health, longevity, and life sciences, Chris Verberg. In addition to being an actual medical doctor, Chris has authored several books, including his latest work, The Longevity Code, Secrets to Living Well for Longer from the Frontlines of Science. He's also the co-founder of Novos, which positions itself as the first nutraceutical company that helps people take control of their health and lifespans. This episode explores the many facets of aging and longevity, ranging from the more abstract philosophical perspectives to very concrete, specific, and technological approaches. Chris's knowledge set is truly impressive, and I can't recommend this episode enough for anyone who wants an extremely comprehensive primer for all things longevity and aging, including some practical life tips. So let's waste no more time and jump into the conversation. Everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Chris Verberg. All right. Well, I think a great place to start then is with your 2018 book, like we talked about previously, um, The Longevity Code. What I would love to know is what inspired that work and if you could lay out some of the core concepts that that book lays out to give us a foundation that we can work with. Yeah, so uh, this was uh, my four books. So uh, I've always been interested by science. My uh, first uh, three books were uh, about uh, big scientific questions. And um, uh, uh, so what inspired me was that as a medical doctor, I quickly realized that the best way to keep people healthy for as long as possible is by addressing the root cause uh, of most diseases that you encounter as a medical doctor. And that root cause is aging. So uh, the same processes that cause aging, um, like uh, epigenetic changes, uh, protein accumulation, mitochondrial dysfunction, telomere shortening, DNA damage, all these uh, fundamental aging processes, um, they all are also very involved in, in uh, our risk of, of uh, diseases like Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, and, and getting those diseases. So, um, so I quickly realized as a medical student, the best way to keep people healthy for as long as possible is by slowing down the aging process. And then you automatically uh, substantially reduce the risk of multiple aging related diseases at the same time. Um, so I quickly delved into uh, the signs of aging and how we can slow it down. And uh, let's say the first things you encounter when you de delve into the rabbit hole of biogerontology, which is the science of aging, is that um, the earliest experiments to extend lifespan in animals uh, were done with nutrition. Uh, so it's ca called caloric restriction. So you, if you give uh, rats uh, less food, they live longer, and uh, there's 40% sometimes even longer. Um, so that quickly uh, yeah, uh, was very inspiring for me in, in the sense to realize that uh, actually the currently the best technology we have to live longer and to slow down aging is nutrition 
Um, I, I'm also very interested in novel biotechnology to extend lifespan, like uh, genetic uh, rewriting or rejuvenation or epigenetic rejuvenation. Um, and, and uh, all kinds of other transcriptomic and, and gene editing therapies and so on. Uh, that's all very fascinating, but that's all more for the future. And currently the best thing uh, or technology we have at our disposal to live longer is nutrition in the first place. And then of course, exercise and stress reduction and sleep optimization. So that um, that's one reason that inspired me to write this book. Second reason is I've always been interested in the big questions. Uh, so what's this life? Uh, why do we have to die? Uh, where did the universe come? from is there a boundary uh, uh, for our universe or not uh, is it just infinite or whatever um so i was always very curious as a child and of course aging and the reason why we have to die is one of the biggest questions we can ask ourselves uh, aging is the reason why everyone uh, sooner or later has to die uh, eventually so there's no escape there uh, at least uh, for now and um so yeah if you think if you have if you have a philosophical mindset the first thing uh, one of the first questions you ask is uh, where uh, did i came from and where will i go to and why do i have to die and uh, and that's uh, another reason why i was interested in aging third reason is aging is very complex and i love complex things um so uh, you have as a doctor uh, if you like complex things you can uh, study the brain uh, um and uh, uh, or you can study the immune system but aging is just uh, even um, much more fascinating to me because uh, it's just a decline of every organ system in the body. It's uh, the slow but inexorable decline of brain function, of vision, of the immune system, uh, uh, decline in heart function, mobility, everything goes down and it's very interesting to see uh, or to study how that happens and how we can slow it down. Um, so these are some reasons why I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I've been fascinated in aging and how to live longer since a very young age. This might be a bit of a, a jump in topics, but you sound like somebody who has a very wide breadth of knowledge. So maybe this is something you've thought about. How much of this is just fighting entropy? Is there something about this that is just fighting the fundamental laws of physics? The body just has to break down just like entropy is pulling everything apart? That's a great question. Um, so uh, some people say, well, aging, you can't do anything about it because it's just uh, entropy. Uh, so uh, chaos, uh, things getting uh, more, uh, yeah, falling apart and, and, and you have increase of entropy in the system. The, the, the reason that this is not really the case is that you're right, the entropy of the universe will always increase. Uh, but uh, so that's a closed system. Uh, you can consider the universe as a closed system. Um, the body uh, is an open system. So um, you can rejuvenate your body for uh, perhaps thousands or uh, even longer uh, amount of time over years um, because you're an open system. So uh, if you can always rejuvenate your body, uh, you're not violating the laws of, uh, of physics or entropy because uh, that is at the expense of creating more entropy outside of your body. Um, um, so uh, so you're not violating anything. Uh, so um, and, and that's possible because we see there are species that uh, live much longer. You have like specific uh, sharks like the Greenland shark that can live up to 400 to 500 years, perhaps even longer. You have whales that live up to 220 years or longer. There are some organisms that don't seem to age. It's called negligible senescence. So these are like some lobsters or some fish that just when they get older, they, their mortality rate doesn't increase. Their fertility rate just stays the same or even improves. You see it in some fish that also can grow to at least hundreds of years. Um, and so some species are even seem to be immortal, uh, like you have some jellyfish um, or polyps uh, that don't seem to age. 
Um, some uh, jellyfish can even rejuvenate themselves. So when they, uh, um, they can uh, grow young again, uh, especially if they are stressed, uh, they uh, revert back to a younger state. Um, so it seems that nature has found many ways to reduce entropy in, in the body at expense, of course, creating more entropy outside of the body because uh, uh, the organism or the body is not, it's not a closed system, it's an open system. And in the whole, the, the, the big system there, the entropy always increases. Um, yeah. So one thing people commonly talk about is <clears throat> the fact that thousands of years ago, the average human wouldn't have lived past the age of around 30. What changed between then and now? Is it Does it have to do with accidents or um, infant mortality or sickness? Or is there something we're doing in our modern lifestyle that's allowing us to live longer? Like why, why is the average age closer to 80 now than 30? Yeah. So... In prehistoric times, most people died because of external causes of death. Um, so they were eaten, they fell into a ravine, they died of infectious diseases and so on. Uh, so they didn't really had the chance to grow old in, uh, in prehistoric times, at least in many cases. Um, child mortality was uh, huge. And uh, even yeah, uh, if you survived uh, uh, your uh, childhood, uh, it was a very dangerous world. So a lot of uh, people died of external causes. Um, now it's different. Um, we have a civilization and a lot of people uh, grow up uh, in a very safe environment. So they have the opportunity um, to grow up to 80 years old. And, and we have very likely still the same bodies as, as thousands and, and tens of thousands of years ago. Um, so in prehistoric times, probably if you had if you were very, very lucky, and um, yeah, uh, or you take a prehistoric human and you put them into our society, that person would very likely also live to 70 or 80 years uh, because our genes have not uh, considerably changed in the last tens of thousands of years. Um, so that, that's uh, also the reason why aging exists. Uh, so, and that also touches on your question about entropy. Um, so some people say, yeah, we age because yeah, uh, we wear out, but that's not the case because uh, as I uh, explained before, there are species that can live for hundreds of years and that can repair the damage or the entropy a lot at the expense of creating more entropy in, 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 the, in the universe uh, because they, they use uh, enzymes and they uh, consume heat and other so uh, resources to repair themselves better. But take for example, colibris, uh, they can flap their wings uh, hundreds of times uh, per second. Uh, they don't get osteoarthritis of their joints uh, after a few days. If we would flap our arms that uh, that fast, even if we could, we would have very, uh, we would uh, have very uh, quickly, uh, our, our joints were, would wear out very fast. So it shows that nature can repair this damage uh, in colibris a lot uh, so that their joints stay healthy. So, uh, and the same for cancer, for example, uh, we see uh, the older we get, uh, uh, the higher our risk of cancer, of course. But uh, it's and then some people say, yeah, cancer is complex and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just part of life. It's just entropy that increases. It's just mutations that happen in our cells and, and that's it. But if you look at mice, they get cancer already after two years, um, mm. uh, while we get cancer after 70 years. Uh, so it shows that nature can uh, slow down the advent of cancer uh, 35-fold. Uh, and in some whales, they don't get cancer when they are 90 or 100 or 200 years old. Um, so, and that shows that nature can slow down the rate of aging considerably. And um, so to come back uh, regarding uh, at uh, prehistoric times, uh, uh, the reason why aging exists um, is because nature didn't 
had a reason to uh, 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 always repair our uh, own tissues sufficiently so that we could uh, live very long. So there was no reason to create a human in prehistoric times that could grow up to thousand years old or, or older because most humans were eaten or fell into a ravine before they were 30 years old. Um, so that explains why our lifespan is uh, a little bit more than 80 years, because after 30 years, there is no selection pressure anymore uh, by nature to keep us healthy and young. So we start to wear out and it takes a, an additional 50 years until yeah, we have worn out so much that we really die. Um, and uh, and that's, the, that's very interesting to think about. So aging actually exists, not because of entropy or because nature uh, cannot repair the damage. It can, it, it can do it very well. If you compare mice to, to, uh, uh, to whale sharks um, that can live much, much longer and have much less cancer and so on. Uh, it's just a question of what happened in prehistoric times. If it uh, was a very hostile environment, there was no selection pressure to enable organisms to live for hundreds of years uh, because they died uh, after one year already. And that's the reason why aging exists. Yeah, on a more philosophical level, do you think that if we interfere too much with aging right now, we do interfere with that evolutionary process? You know, part of how we became humans is by the virtue of death, you know, death got us to where we are because we were able to kill off adaptations and evolutionary genetics that weren't good for this environment. Do you think that we could potentially be undermining our evolutionary trajectory by getting involved at this point? Well, we will definitely impact our evolutionary trajectory because we are at a, a new biotech era where for the first time we will be able to uh, reprogram our genes and our uh, genetic destiny through novel technologies like CRISPR and, and others uh, much better. So whether we like it or not, um, it will happen. Uh, uh, very likely we will go to a future where uh, people will live much longer, perhaps two, 300 years and, and still look young and, and have much less diseases uh, because for the first time, in thousands of, of, of years, uh, we can uh, we actually have now the tools to uh, tinker with our genome, epigenome, transcriptome, microbiome, and so on. So it's like a, a whole new era that that is now uh, dawning. Uh, to come to your question, do we want this? Uh, um, that's that's a very interesting question. So I would say. Some philosophers also thought about this a lot, and and uh, so. You, you need that in uh, perhaps uh, let's uh, so one argument is that uh, if people die uh, they are replaced with uh, younger generations uh, that look at things differently and that wants to change uh, who uh, that want to change things and so on um, uh, also you create more uh, genetic diversity uh, so if people uh, always uh, uh, create uh, uh, children that are genetically a little bit different so you create a, a gene pool and that also is very interesting because some organisms that are immortal, the reason why they are immortal is the way they reproduce. Like some polyps, they reproduce asexually, so they can clone themselves. So almost every cell in their body has to stay young. So that's why they also are immortal. So a lot has to do with sex and, and, and so on regarding aging and, and evolution and so on. So some people say, yeah, we need that for diversity um, genetically and even psychology, novel ideas and, and so on. Well, um, I think there are uh, uh, one uh, counter argument to that is that 
I agree that we need diversity, but our lifespans are very short. Eh? We only live 80 years or so, and that's very short. So I think uh, we will probably go to a future where people live two, 300 years or perhaps longer and then die or choose to die. And you will still have diversity only uh, and, and other ideas only. Uh, it will be perhaps a little bit slower, but not exactly slower because with the advent of AI and, and uh, data science and, and so many new technologies, we will be able to create much more ideas and, and the novel uh, inventions uh, than we were ever able before. So I'm not going to, um, and I can also uh, uh, ask that question in, in a reverse way uh, to you. Um, would you invent that to solve these problems that you just mentioned? Uh, would you imagine a society where no one dies? Um, uh, would you invent that to renew things and to make sure that uh, yeah, dictators die after a while and not stay on, on power forever uh, and, and so on, knowing that we also have all these new technologies, uh, AI and so on. And uh, yeah, we, we are still with billions of people who can have great ideas. Um, so it's interesting to think about, uh, but uh, I think we do need some perhaps some turnover, but it can be done ideally a little bit uh, uh, slower. I like uh, enabling yeah. lifespans of uh, 200 years instead perhaps of 80 years. I could imagine slowing things down might actually be a benefit because of how fast things change. People might benefit from having a less anxiety, less death anxiety, and, and be able to be more grounded, I guess, by, yeah, great. by yeah, not I fearing death so much. Indeed. Uh, th there's some people think that if we go to a future, I, I think it's uh, in uh, people are future descendants. Uh, uh, they will think back uh, uh, to our age, like like these people at the early uh, uh, 21st century, they had like really uh, very short lifespans, only 80 years. Uh, and people will uh, perhaps in the future are, are look uh, in a compassionate way to us with just such short lifespans. And in the future, perhaps people will live two, 300 years or longer. Um, it already happened uh, uh, around the 1900s. Average lifespan in England was about uh, 46 years. Uh, and of course, there's with a lot of child mortality, but still a lot of people age much faster. And if you were 60 years old in in the 19 uh, in 1899 uh, you looked like very old and and and, and so on and um, now we are so much healthier we uh, even when you're when we are in our 80s so we uh, we look very healthy compared to like 100 or 150 years ago so there are already big shifts going on much longer lifespans uh, much healthier also when we are old and I think yeah we will go to a future where our descendants will look back at us and say well those, those poor fellows only became 80 years old and what can you do in 80 years old and some philosophers even say if we are going to live much longer like uh, 200 years or so and still look young uh, we will have another life trajectory uh, instead of a three-stage life where uh, mm -hmm. as it currently often is you uh, study uh, then you have uh, you do your job after a few decades and then you retire and then you die um, then but if you live for 150 years perhaps um, then you will have not a three-stage life but a multi-stage life uh, so you will uh, study something you will do a job for a few years or decades then you have a micro retirement for a few years then you study something completely different again and then uh, you do a completely different job and then go on a micro retirement again for a few years or so um, so these are things to uh, take into account and we have to because we already know that a child born today will uh, has a, a little bit more than 50 percent chance to uh, become at 
least 100 years old. Um, and that's uh, just what the statistics say today. Um, so, and we will go to a future where the lifespan can be even uh, much more extended uh, through novel uh, biotechnologies. So we've talked a little bit about the environment as it's changed from our ancestors to now, but what are some of the ways that environment does impact our aging? And I specifically am thinking of epigenetics in this case, right? Because if I understand correctly, certain genes turn on and off depending on the environment that they're in. Uh, in. So what role do epigenetics play in aging for us right now and in its relation to the environment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so personally, I think epigenetics probably plays a very important role in aging. Uh, so there are a lot of different reasons why we age. Uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, protein accumulation, telomere shortening, DNA damage, senescent cells, and so on. But probably epigenetic changes uh, play the most important, uh, or uh, at least a very important role in aging. There are many reasons for that. But um, so to uh, perhaps very quickly to uh, elucidate uh, or enlighten uh, some people in the audience uh, who um, don't know exactly what epigenetics is. So epigenetics is um, the very intricate molecular uh, system that determines which genes are switched on or off. Um, and that's very important because uh, almost all our cells have the same amount of DNA. Um, and um, uh, of course, a brain cell is a brain cell because in a brain cell, genes responsible uh, for brain function are switched on, while in a, uh, and liver genes are switched off in brain cells or, or heart genes and so on. And, and in other tissues, other genes are active. And so the, uh, the epigenome is very important uh, to regulate uh, uh, cell fate and, and, and uh, lifespan even uh, because uh, all our cells have the same DNA but uh, neurons can grow 80 years old while uh, some skin cells only 25 days. Uh, um, so it's, it's very important to genome in lifespan and, uh, and cell uh, fate. Um, so of course, what we do uh, with our body and, and what we eat and how much we exercise and our stress and sleep levels, they all also impact the epigenome. Uh, so our, our lifestyle can switch on specific genes or switch off specific genes. And that's very interesting too. Um, I think one uh, important aspect of health is making sure that the genome can, epigenome can maintain itself properly. Uh, so the epigenome, for example, needs a lot of methyl groups. So these are small molecules that are put onto the DNA. And if there are a lot of these methyl groups on the, on a, on the DNA on a specific gene, then the gene is switched off because it's covered with methyl groups. Mm. And in your food, there are uh, like uh, there are uh, specific substances that don't uh, that enable uh, the body to to create these uh, these methyl groups on on the DNA to switch on or switch off specific uh, genes. Um, so like uh, B vitamins are very involved in epigenetic maintenance. Uh, alpha ketoglutarate, uh, which is also a substance that has shown in in many studies to extend lifespan. Um, it is an epigenetic uh, modifier. It also has many other functions. Uh, zinc is important for epigenetic maintenance uh, and. NMN, uh, which is a molecule that um, also um, can uh, help uh, the body to maintain its uh, epigenome. Um, and so these are all uh, substances you can find in food or supplements uh, to maintain the epigenome. But of course, if you sleep not properly or uh, are stressed or eat very, uh, a very unhealthy diet, yeah, you will uh, switch on pro-inflammatory genes. You will uh, switch uh, off genes that you need for repair and, and DNA maintenance and so on. Um, so the epigenome is very interesting. And also 
the best clocks probably uh, to holistically measure your uh, biological age and your risk of dying and uh, risk of getting sick, uh, morbidity, uh, are epigenetic clocks. Uh, so these are uh, devices or uh, approaches where you look at hundreds of different regions in the DNA and see whether these regions are methylated or not. And if they are well or not, you see a pattern and that pattern can determine uh, your real biological age. So for example, someone can be 50 years old uh, chronologically, but if that person eats very unhealthy, doesn't get enough sleep um, and so on, perhaps that person is 58 years old, uh, which would translate to double the risk of dying. Eh? For every eight years you're older, uh, you have uh, almost double the risk of dying according uh, to some epigenetic clocks. So are there ways to specifically see what genes, what epi epigenetic genes, I guess, are turned off or on and then if you know adjust your life accordingly can you say that you need specifically more b vitamins or that sleep is like an issue have we become that um i guess advanced in our understanding of this work yet yeah there are already uh, epigenetic clocks commercially available that mm -hmm. uh, tr uh yeah look at your epigenome and try to determine your biological age um, these clocks are uh, interesting to have a global picture, like how healthy am I really? Am I a few years older epigenetically or biologically than I am chronologically? Um, to measure interventions, that's more difficult. Uh, the clocks uh, are currently, it's very novel, the field, and mm -hmm. the clocks are currently in, in development. So uh, I looked into many epigenetic clock companies, and uh, some of them are very promising. Um, um, the, the, a lot of these clocks have been trained uh, on a group level. Uh, so they look at epigenetic uh, signatures in hundreds or thousands of people. And to translate that to an individual level, it's more difficult, but it's possible. You can already now take an epigenetic clock and they're quite good to give you a broad picture of how healthy you really are, uh, to use them for an intervention. Like I'm going to take a supplement or eat healthy and then see if my epigenetic age has reversed. We There are uh, have been lately some studies that did show uh, in some cases an effect where you could rejuvenate the body uh, somewhat, but uh, I'm quite, uh, I have some reservations because some clocks, uh, they are not that accurate or they have not been validated by other scientists. And then they use this clock and then they say, oh, this supplement reverses epigenetic age. But if you look at the clock, it's a very inaccurate clock. Huh? Um, so I, I, uh, as a as scientist and as a medical doctor, I have always some reservation. I'm always very critical, but it's the future. Huh? We will need clocks like this to much better assess your health. Because now if a patient goes to a doctor, the doctor measures your blood pressure, uh, does a blood test uh, who, uh, that's often normal, uh, but still you can be deficient in a lot of things, but have a normal blood test. Uh, the doctor measures your cholesterol and, and a bit of inflammation and your red blood cells, and that's it. And it's a very uh, rudimentary picture of your health doesn't say a lot. You can have normal cholesterol levels and still die of a heart attack uh, next week. Um, so we need much better tools to assess our global health. And epigenetic clocks are one tool, but there are also other clocks in development, uh, like uh, ribosomal clocks, uh, uh, proteomic clocks, uh, um, uh, transcriptomic clocks, metabolomic clocks, uh, microbiomal clocks. And I think the clock of the future that really wants to properly assess your health is, is going to be a combination of all uh, of mm -hmm. all these clocks. How do you think the modern technological landscape then is in impacting our epigenetics? For example, I'm thinking specifically of things like <clears throat> because we use computers and technology so much, we are more sedentary, so we're not exercising as much. Um, and because we have 
grocery stores around every corner. Maybe we're not doing things like intermittent fasting. Are there a lot of things like this that you think are negatively impacting our aging process because of the way the modern technological environment uh, exists? Yeah, well, don't get me started on it because uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I absolutely agree with you. Um, so um, it's, we live in an age where uh, it can go two ways. Uh, we have never been able uh, to have so much access to information and supplements and healthy food and, and exercise than ever before to stay healthy. On the other hand, uh, yeah, our society is uh, very complex and uh, yeah, uh, seduces and entices and pushes people a lot into yeah, following a much more unhealthier route. And um, uh, so I, definitely there are a lot of things that substantially accelerate aging uh, one thing is uh, the most important aspect is uh, in fact uh, is um, is our health uh, is nutrition uh, so um, um but to come uh, back yeah so uh, we see there are a lot of uh, things in our society that accelerate aging uh, nutrition uh, likely the most important one uh, we also see this in research uh, the best way to slow down aging is nutrition and, and then exercise and so on um, so the way we eat uh, a lot of unhealthy fats that cause inflammation fast carbs uh, not just sugary foods but also uh, bread potatoes uh, pasta rice so starchy foods uh, accelerate aging in many different ways um, uh, too much uh, animal protein and, and so on um, so yeah that, that's one problem our, our, our diet uh, stress levels uh, sleep problems uh, there, there's a lot of artificial light and so many uh, things that can uh, entice us to stay up for much longer instead of going to bed and have a regular hour to go to bed um, yeah sitting behind our desks uh, not having not having enough sunlight and so on um, so these are a lot of uh, issues of course uh, and that accelerate epigenetic age and and age in general and um, I think it's important to find methods uh, and and uh, to yeah to stay healthier uh, longer uh, through yeah trying to find out what's the best nutrition because there's also a lot of uh, contradictory um, let's say advice there too so if you want to stay healthy Today, as a human, it's not easy. If you go online, there are so many contradictory opinions on what to do to live longer, which diet to follow. You have paleo diets, keto diets, carnivore diets, caloric restriction diets. Which diet is the best? Uh, same for supplements. Uh, uh, so many supplements are touted online that uh, that are anti-aging, but have very little science behind them. Um, so despite the ability to, uh, as never before, to live healthier, it's also very confusing. Um, mm. So, and we try to solve this by approaching nutrition and health from a very novel angle from aging. Uh, so the best uh, foods or diets are the ones that slow down aging. And, uh, and the same for supplements and so on. The best supplements are the ones that have shown to extend lifespan in multiple organisms. Uh, most antioxidants don't do that, for example. Uh, and uh, a lot of people still think that antioxidants slow down aging, but it's not the case. And same for foods. A lot of diets actually accelerate aging. But if you approach aging or food from the aging viewpoint, you can much better assess, uh, yeah, is this food healthy or this diet healthy on the long term? Um, so that's one way to go about it. Interesting. You, you also talked a lot there about the before about the biotech um, that is now being innovated. And specifically, I think you've talked before about the second biotech age. Can you talk about what that is and how it's maybe different from the first biotech age? Yes, uh, definitely. So the first biotech age is still a little bit the age we're currently in. So it's an age that um, 
is uh, characterized by uh, like small molecules as drugs uh, um, that you take uh, to improve uh, symptoms of diseases often. So, uh, so currently all the drugs we take, uh, most of the drugs, unfortunately, they um, are not really addressing the root causes of diseases, uh, but they are more like uh, uh, reducing the symptoms. Eh? Like uh, if you have an antihypertensive drug, that drug uh, impacts calcium channels in the cells of our blood vessels, and it opens up uh, the blood vessels, but it's not really addressing the root cause of hypertension, eh? like which is... Uh, which is mainly caused by aging processes like uh, glycation and 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 uh, senescent cells in the blood vessel walls and, and ep epigenetic changes in the blood vessel wall cells and so on. Um, so that's the current HV in. There is a lot of medication. A lot of medication is mainly aimed at suppressing symptoms, but uh, there are uh, there are uh, also have been great breakthroughs like uh, vaccines or antibiotics and and uh, anesthesia and so on. So that's the first biotic age. Um, the second biotic age is completely different. Uh, there we will finally have as many medical doctors the tools to really go out the root causes of diseases and really yeah change all kinds of diseases that are currently incurable uh, like uh, there are thousands of genetic diseases uh, as medical doctors we can't treat them in, in most cases uh, but with novel technologies like gene editing like CRISPR-Cas9 or using uh, retrotransposon technologies and so on we can actually uh, start to cure genetic diseases and that's amazing and these technologies are very new uh, some of them have only been discovered a few years ago and uh, and also Nobel prizes have been awarded for that already because it's so spectacular so this new um, this new era is uh, characterized by completely novel technologies like gene editing, like transcriptomic therapies, like epigenetic therapies, uh, where you can switch on or off specific genes without having to cut into the genome, which is probably even better than CRISPR-Cas9 approaches in, in, uh, for a lot of indications. Um, so these are novel tools, very new, currently in development, and they will finally enable medical doctors to much better treat uh, all kinds of, uh, of diseases. Uh, combined is also with uh, the paradigm shift that's slowly unfolding that the best way to keep people healthy is by addressing the root cause of uh, all aging related diseases which is aging itself uh, that's that's a great way forward eh? if you really want to keep people healthy for as long as possible um, try to slow down aging itself and then you automatically reduce substantially your risk of heart disease of alzheimer's disease and so on and that's the second biotech era. And uh, perhaps I can encapsulate it even more uh, by um, uh, asking people a question. Uh, often when I give a talk, I ask people a question. Imagine if we have a drug that could cure all heart disease. Uh, so nobody would get a heart attack or a stroke anymore. How much longer do you think people would live? And the answer is, if you look in the literature, not a lot. Uh, people would only live about 2.8 years longer if you could cure the most important cause of death in most uh, countries, uh, which is heart disease. Um, so why? Because if people wouldn't die anymore of heart disease, they would die a few years later of another aging-related disease. They would die of cancer or Alzheimer's disease and so on. So therefore, it's very important to start to address aging itself. And that's also a paradigm shift that's slowly happening. Unfortunately, most medical doctors are not trained in aging. And a lot of, uh, um, let's say, uh, um, governments uh, think that aging is a natural process, 
for which you cannot create uh, therapies, while uh, aging of uh, organs, they call it disease. Uh, aging of the brain, they call it Alzheimer's disease. Aging of the heart, they call it atherosclerosis or hypertension. Um, aging of the joints, they call it uh, osteoarthritis. These are all diseases. But aging of the whole body is suddenly something completely natural that, uh, that you don't have to treat, which is a bit mind-boggling to me. But slowly but suddenly, that's changing. Governments are waking up to the idea like you need to address aging itself to really address all these diseases much better. Yeah, are there other technologies <clears throat> that are coming uh, down the line right now that show a lot of promise? And, and specifically, where does CRISPR exist right now? Is CRISPR still showing itself to be a leading technology? Is it being, I think you mentioned that there are other more advanced technologies that are coming um, that people might be more interested in using? Yes, definitely. Um, so CRISPR-Cas9, it is an interesting approach, of course, still. Um, it has been discovered around 2012, and it's a way of, uh, of uh, changing genes. It's a gene editing method. Um, so with CRISPR-Cas9, you can uh, uh, disable uh, specific genes mainly. Uh, so CRISPR-Cas9 is very good in knocking out genes. Uh, because it makes cuts in genes and these cuts are not repaired properly and then you can knock out a gene. That's great, uh, already interesting on itself, but the problem with CRISPR-Cas9 is, is that it's very difficult to insert whole new uh, genes or genetic sequences into the genome. Uh, that, 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 that's possible with CRISPR-Cas9, but it has a very low uh, efficiency. So you need novel technologies that really can insert large uh, genetic sequences into our genome, uh, uh, preferably even entire genes, but can't really do that properly with CRISPR-Cas9 technologies. Um, so there are uh, novel technologies um, where um, you uh, connect uh, the, the CRISPR-Cas9 with a reverse transcriptase uh, enzyme that can uh, yeah, reverse transcribe uh, specific sequences into our genome. Uh, so that has been discovered a few years ago. So that's already much better to insert specific genetic sequences. Uh, but uh, currently there are even better approaches uh, like uh, transposon based approaches. So transposons are uh, parts of our uh, gene that uh, jump around uh, of, our, of our genomes, um, uh, parts of our genome that jump around. So um, transposons, um, you have DNA uh, transposons and uh, RNA transposons, but it, it's, uh, they are also often called jumping genes. Um, so these are specific sequences uh, in our genome that can make copies of themselves and they can insert that copy somewhere uh, further down uh, into our genome again. Um, uh, so that these are retro uh, transposons. And um, that's, uh, that's a good and a bad thing uh, because that's also one of the reasons why we age because these, uh, these transposons make, make uh, continuously copies uh, of themselves and uh, implant them or insert themselves uh, haphazardly everywhere into our genome. And that causes uh, genetic uh, destabilization and an increased risk of cancer. Um, that's also, by the way, why dogs uh, are so different because they have a lot of different uh, genetic sequencing, uh, sequences jumping around. And that's why you can create a lot of different dog breeds very quickly because they have, they have all these genes jumping around. So, But also plants like my, my maize also have this to defend themselves against to changing environment because they can't run away so they have to evolve very quickly but uh, this uh, but you can harness this technology also to 
change genes uh, because these uh, retrotransposons, they are hundreds of millions of years old, uh, some even older, and they are very good in inserting uh, genetic sequences into the genome. So if you harness this technology, like some companies are doing, uh, you can insert large uh, genetic sequences in our genome, ideally in precise locations, even entire genes. Uh, uh, and that, that would be uh, very fascinating. So that's like CRISPR 3.0, uh, uh, if we compare it to the first CRISPR uh, uh, that, that we saw uh, come to light a, a few years ago. Uh, so it's, the field is moving very fast regarding gene editing, uh, but there are many other very promising technologies uh, like uh, epigenetic treatments uh, where you in fact can switch on or off genes. So that way you don't have to disable the genes anymore like with CRISPR-Cas9 where you cut out a, a specific sequence, uh, but you can just switch on the gene uh, or switch it off and you don't have to cut into the genome. So that's also very interesting. Then you have transcriptomic treatments um, where you use RNA uh, to create novel proteins. Um, so yeah, you have um, novel stem cell therapies. Uh, stem cells have been around for decades, have been a little bit disappointing uh, uh, because if you inject stem cells, they don't graft properly. Um, that's a big issue and or they are immune rejected. But uh, all, all kinds of companies are now working on creating better stem cells that do graft and, and are not rejected and can survive much better. Uh, you have uh, or companies that print organs, uh, that try to print tissue, uh, even entire organs. That's moving very fast. Uh, two, uh, one problem with organ uh, printing was that you uh, first need to try to print uh, blood vessels properly. And that's very difficult, but now uh, there are novel technologies that can do that. Um, and if you can print blood vessels, you can start to print entire organs. And, and that's also ongoing. Um, you have organoids, uh, you have immunotherapy. That's also very fascinating where you induce the immune system to attack cancer uh, works much better uh, than chemotherapy and, and radiotherapy, which is uh, especially chemotherapy, not very specific. So it's that's the second biotech age I was talking about. We see the advent of the all these fascinating new technologies that were impossible uh, 10, 20 years ago. And uh, you already see some uh, concrete results like people with uh, metastasized uh, skin cancer, which was almost uh, was like a 15 years ago or 10 years ago, uh, always lethal, unfortunately. Um, but now some patients are completely cured of this. And that's through novel immunotherapies, for example. So uh, you're already seeing concrete results. And we will likely go to a future where we um, will live much longer, we'll stay healthier, uh, but where we also will have the ability to uh, change our own genetic destiny. Because if you use this CRISPR-Cas9 or transposon technologies or other gene editing technologies, for the first time in our human history, we can now rewrite genes very fast, very accurate and very cheaply. Um, so where it took uh, nature tens of thousands of years to introduce a new mutation, uh, we can now do it in one day uh, for about 70 euros uh, or dollars. Uh, so uh, that's amazing. And even 10 years ago, changing a gene would cost you like uh, $100,000 uh, or so because you need to create a viral vector and introduce the genetic sequence into the viral vector and then filtrate it and, uh, and then uh, inject it into the body. And, and now, uh, so that was very expensive. But now you can uh, you have CRISPR uh, Cas9 uh, kits you can buy online for uh, for seventy dollars uh, and uh, 
so you already see some biohackers that uh, are uh, trying to use this technology to um, change a gene so that they have more muscle mass uh, so that they don't always have to go to the gym uh, or uh, uh, you have companies that are patenting gene combinations um, to uh, slow down aging and, and reduce your risk of cancer and in, uh, reduce your risk of Alzheimer's but also upgrade uh, cognition at the same time so it's going to be a very fascinating couple of decades and hundreds of years uh, in that regard. Uh, so some philosophers even speculate we will go towards a direction where there will be multiple uh, different species of humans because some people will perhaps uh, genetically modify them much more than others. Uh, so it will be very interesting coming a uh, uh, few decades. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen over the next 10 years or so? Because it sounds like this is a field that is moving incredibly quick. I mean, understandably so, given that it's so deeply tied to our health and death and something that we all are deeply invested in. Um, but where where do you think we're going to end up in, in 10 or 15 years? Yeah, that's always a very difficult question. Um, uh, you, you said it moves quick. Uh, that's true because there are so many breakthroughs happening as we speak, some of them very, very promising, but also it moves very slow uh, because it uh, biotech is not, uh, uh, let's say, um, technology. Uh, you can create an app uh, in, in 10 days or even shorter, but for biotech, uh, it needs to uh, get approved. So all kinds of therapies, often it takes 15 years uh, uh, for from idea to go towards approved treatment because you have to do phase one, two, and three clinical trials uh, in humans to demonstrate it's safe and it is effective and so on. So that's a bit of uh, also um, uh, an annoyance that I have that it's going very slow, unfortunately, and perhaps we have to find ways to accelerate this, this uh, approval uh, uh, pathway to get uh, these treatments much faster into the hands of people uh, and so on. Um, but yeah, uh, to regarding predictions, well, uh, from my viewpoint, uh, I'm mostly interested in aging and, and treating aging-related diseases. So I think in the next few years, probably the next five years or so, or five to ten years, we will see the first small molecules uh, to slow down aging. Uh, um, perhaps it will be some variants of rapamycin that has shown, uh, has demonstrated to extend lifespan. Perhaps it will be metformin. Uh, there is currently a trial going on to uh, see whether metformin can uh, slow down aging and extend lifespan in humans. Uh, metformin is an anti-diabetic drug. Uh, there are other candidates in development uh, to slow down aging. Um, so probably in the next uh, five to 10 years, we will see the first small molecules uh, that you can take um, to live longer and slow down aging and reduce your risk of uh, specific aging-related diseases. Uh, longer On a longer time horizon, I think 15 years, 20 years from now, we will see novel biotechnologies uh, to partially reverse aging, and not just to slow it down, but to reverse it. Because we have seen in, in uh, a lot of studies lately that it's possible um, not to slow, just slow down, but actually reverse aging. So in these studies, you had old mice and they were made younger again. And so these mice had uh, a gray fur, they had bald spots, they had cognitive decline. And after the treatment, like for example, through epigenetic reprogramming, these old mice looked young again. Eh? So their gray fur became shiny black again. The bald spots uh, in their fur were disappeared. They were much, they were much more active. Uh, their organs could regenerate better again and so on. So we see it's possible um, to partially reverse the aging process. And a lot of companies are now, uh, have been created around this. Eh? Like uh, Altos uh, recently got $3 billion of funding 
uh, to tackle aging through epigenetic reprogramming. Google or uh, Alphabet uh, has created a company called Calico many years ago um, to also uh, develop novel technologies to reprogram aging. And uh, yeah, the last five years, we have seen a huge influx of investor uh, money into uh, therapies and companies to, to target aging. So I think in the next 15 to 20 years, we will see this first new technologies uh, on the market to, to reverse aging. And then on a longer time horizon, like 30, 40, 50 years from now, a lot of these technologies will be combined um, to hopefully enable us to uh, grow old agelessly. Huh? So people would become sort of ageless. So you can be you you cannot see anymore how old you are. You see, so you would always look like 35 or so, even when you're 70 or 90 or 120 years old. Uh, uh, I think that's a very likely future. If you see what's now in development, if you see uh, if you see that's possible to reverse aging and and so on. Um, and actually, nature has been doing it the whole time. Uh, the, one of, that's one of the reasons why babies are born young, uh, because babies are born out of a mother uh, uh, who is 30 years old, for example. Uh, the egg cell of the mother is 30 years old, but the baby, uh, baby born is zero years old. Right? So the baby is not as old as the mother. So it shows that nature can reverse aging in, in egg cells. Uh, after fertilization, a 30-year-old egg cell will reprogram itself to zero years so that a child is born uh, young and not as old as the mother or, or the father. Um, so nature has been doing it for millions of years um, and we are now harnessing these approaches there is by the way a company that's looking into embryogenesis to see how we can use the same method methods that nature uses to keep uh, the the excels young and babies young uh, to to extrapolate it to ourselves and uh, like i said in studies we see it's it's uh, possible at least in animals so yeah it's going to be a very interesting future um, and then also about the gene editing technologies uh, we will be able to change our genes um, uh, much faster, cheaper, and more accurate than ever before. Um, so it will be interesting to see how uh, countries will regulate this and how they will uh, try to curb this, uh, people experimenting on themselves and trying to change genes to improve cognition or their immune system or uh, slow down aging. Um, so yeah, it's difficult to predict. And some countries will be more lenient than others. Uh, like in China, uh, some people say there is a novel called going on. Uh, it's not nuclear uh, rockets anymore, but it's uh, biotech and AI. Uh, and uh, countries like China and the US and Europe are vying with each other in, in that regard. And some countries will be much more lenient regarding gene editing and changing uh, the genome than other countries. And then some countries that are perhaps less uh, lenient will get um, the, let's say, the head start or will um, evolve or advance much faster, but perhaps not for the better. So it will be an interesting uh, uh, future, definitely. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens these next 20 years. Um, as we come up to our the end of our time here, Chris, I want to give you a chance just to tell our audience about any projects you're currently working on or point them towards anything that you'd like them to take a look at and share anything that you'd like. So is there anything you'd like to tell the audience before we uh, end this? Yeah, definitely. Um, so if, if people are interested in aging and how to live longer, uh, I've written a book about that. It's called The Longevity Code. So uh, a lot of what I said here is you can find back in the book. 
Uh, you can they can also follow me on on, on Instagram uh, if they want to. Um, I'm also involved in in a company. Uh, it's called Novos. Uh, there we are creating uh, novel nutraceuticals to live longer. Because one of my irritations has been for a long time there are so little science based nutraceuticals to live longer. And um, um, regarding that's also very interesting because. Um, a lot of, uh, if you look uh, at pharmaceuticals versus pharma companies, so a lot of drugs currently uh, in development or that have been development, uh, have been developed, it's one drug for one target. But aging is very complex. Eh? So there are many reasons why we age. Um, so probably you need a combination. Eh? And you cannot really do that with the drug because the FDA doesn't like you to use different combinations of a drug to treat something that they don't even call a disease, uh, aging. So with nutraceuticals, you can use different combinations um, uh, to... A target or a specific indication uh, in our case aging um, so that's a, a project I'm also uh, involved in and that I really uh, strongly believe in in using the best science to see uh, uh, to identify the most promising ingredients or substances to impact the aging process um, and yeah other projects I love to write and, and so on and, and, and blog and, and, and uh, perhaps I will write another book a lot of people asked me about that um, so yeah like uh, I said when we started to this talk uh, um, too little hours in a day and, and too little years in a human life, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate this conversation. I feel like I learned a lot and want to go back through and listen to all the things you said so I can look into all these new uh, technologies and ways to fight off aging. Great. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for the great questions too.